Father God, we thank you for this uh, wonderful worship that we are having. And thank you for the children who have come here. And we pray that as they go to the friends of Jesus, that you would be with them, Lord, and uh, teach them and open their hearts to your word and your love, that they may come to know you, Lord. And uh, we be with the teachers, Lord, and be with us as we open the word, and Lord, speak to us and uh, speak through me, your unworthy servant, servant Lord, and uh, because of your grace. In your son's name we pray, amen. So in the month of August, we are starting a new series, um, Children of the Light, Walking as Children of the Light. And it's my privilege to start the first um, of the series. It's from Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Let's turn our attention to God's word. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Last week, uh, Pastor Stan gave us a clear uh, outline of the letter uh, to Ephesians by Paul by breaking that into four sections, namely sit, bow, walk, and stand. I want to make it even simpler for you by breaking, breaking it into two sections. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 uh, is doctrinal section, or I want to call it the gospel glory. Chapters 4 through 6 is practical living, or the gospel living, which is applications. In fact, all of Paul's letters could be broken into these clear two sections. So how do you know you are in which section? When you read, you pay attention, there is a word, therefore, comes in. And at the beginning of the application section, Paul always uses this therefore. Last Sunday also, Pastor Stan reminded from chapter 2 of Ephesians that we were dead in our sins before God made us alive and raised us up and seated us with Christ. Secondly, we were spiritually bankrupt. Therefore, God saved us, saved us by grace through faith in Christ alone and by nothing else. Thirdly, Gentiles who have been far off from God has been brought near and that they have been together as one body were reconciled to God and one another. We have peace with God and one another through the blood of Christ. Both Jews and Gentiles are being built together in one body called uh, the Holy Temple, which is the Church of Jesus Christ, where he dwells through the Holy Spirit. It is in this context that we are moving to chapter 5, and verse 1 and 2, where Paul starts off with the, the conjunction word, therefore. Having declared the glory of the gospel, he now says for us to be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Children imitate their parents. We have all seen that. When we were growing up, we were naturally imitating our parents. And as parents, we want our children to learn from us and imitate us. So Paul is asking the believers in Ephesians to imitate God as beloved children. After having called us to imitate God the Father, Paul exhorts us to walk in love as Christ Jesus gave himself up as a sacrificial offering. Simple, two, two verses, right? The outline of my sermon today is, who is the God we are called to imitate as children of God? Second, how does this God reveal himself? Third, where do we get the power to imitate by walking in love? The opening verse of the Bible in the Old Testament begins with the declaration, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. It assumes God exists, and he is the creator of heaven, heavens and the earth. I would like to highlight two particular characters of this God, creator God, who has no beginning. First, God is holy and righteous. Second, God is loving and kind. You may wonder why these two attributes, not the others. Please keep that question in the back of your mind. Hope that becomes clear to you as we move along. God is righteous and holy. In chapter 4, verse 24, Paul is asking the believers to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What kind of godliness or godlikeness Paul is calling us to? We read in righteousness and holiness. God is, right, God is righteous means his ways are perfectly just. His character is upright and altogether virtuous. Holiness comes from the word wholeness. God is the ultimate perfection of all the virtues that we can imagine. His being is the personification of all the superlatives of the virtuous attributes. Therefore, God stands apart from other beings. He is set apart, separate from all his creatures. Therefore, we read in Isaiah, the angels emphatically repeating, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we also read in the scriptures, God is loving and kind. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount exhorts us to love by imitating his Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 44 and 45 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Here Jesus highlights the extreme form of love that flows from God, who is the source of all love. 
we sang, we heard, the mighty acts of God surrounds us, surrounding us daily. 251 babies are born every minute on the planet Earth, not to mention all the butterflies, birds, deers, elephants, cows, fish. God gives breath to all of them, each one of them. God shows his love towards the just and the unjust. Likewise, we, we need to love not just those who love us back, but those who are our enemies. When we live this way, we live like the sons and daughters of God. That is our identity as sinners saved by grace. Well, you may ask, where is the kindness of God in the Old Testament? In fact, the Bible says, all of us are enemies of God in the state of sin. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. In Ephesians, we read uh, in chapter 2, it says, We were children of wrath, justly deserving the displeasure of God. In chapter 2, we read also, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with him, and seated up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what God is doing to his enemies, that we were in the state of our sin. It says, when we were dead in our sins, God loved us and has shown mercy. And by making us alive, raised us and seated us with Christ. Well, you may say, that's in the New Testament. How about in the Old Testament? There are several examples of God showing his kindness to his enemies and those outside the covenant in the Old Testament. Take the example of Jonah, for instance. Towards the end of the book of Jonah, we read the Ninevites repenting after hearing Jonah proclaiming the message of, the message of doom. It reads, People of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, including the king of Nineveh. When God saw the Ninevites repented and turned from their evil ways, God did not bring the calamity he was going to bring on them. At the end, we read, God saying to Jonah, who was fumingly angry because of God's kindness towards the Ninevites, and over the shady plant that died overnight. God sent to Jonah, said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know, from their know the difference between their right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? There are many examples of God's kindness towards his enemies in the Old Testament and those outside the covenant. This example from Jonah really highlights the heart of God in comparison 
to the preacher of Israel, Jonah. This takes us to the second point. How does this God reveal his heart of compassion and love? The answer is, through his son, the love of Christ shown to us sacrificially as a fragrant offering to God. Love of God is supremely the manifestation of his love that's shown through Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, we read about this love of God. In verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, Paul says, seem to be echoing the same thing, or the other way around. And he says, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There are two things about this love I would like to bring to your attention. First, it is a self-initiating love. What do I mean by that? It says, not that we loved God, but that God loved us by sending his son to us. In Ephesians 2, we also saw that when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive, raised us and seated us with Christ because of his richness in mercy and great love toward us. Second, it is a sacrificial love. It is a self-giving love as a sacrifice. John uses a technical term, propitiation. The NIV says, atoning sacrifice. Why cannot God just love us without offering his beloved son, only begotten son, as an atoning sacrifice? God must love us at an incredible cost by giving himself that is the second person of the Trinity, as a sacrificial offering so that his integrity of his nature is consistent. As we saw earlier, on the one hand, we have a God who is righteous and holy, who cannot tolerate sin and evil. On the other hand, we have a God who is loving and kind. He cannot tolerate the loss of people he had committed himself to. There is this inherent seemingly unresolvable tension in the narrative of the scripture, which Tim Keller says drives the biblical story forward. Read the prophets as we read in Jonah, Judges, or the first five books of the Old Testament. This tension is glaringly clear. God could have completely wiped off the earth and have created a perfect and obedient people in another planet. But God instead sends his son to die on a cross to redeem the whole universe. John 3.16 This is the love and it is what both the apostle Paul and John are emphatically proclaiming. God enters our world, takes on humanity, dies an excruciating, horrendous death on a cross to redeem 
a rebellious, unfaithful, and spiritually dead people for himself. Keller goes on to say, it is only on the cross that we can understand how God is able to resolve the tension, the tension I was talking about, between his attributes or characters within himself. God on the cross, God poured out his wrath on his people in the person of his son. He satisfied both justice because sin is punished and loving faithfulness since he is now able to accept and forgive us. Only through the cross can God be both just and the justifier of, of the one who has faith in Christ or Jesus. We are called to imitate this God of love by walking in love. A kind of love that is self-initiating, self-giving, and sacrificial one. My brother Ruben Amalalo want me to describe this love as revealed, shown, and manifested through the life and death of Christ. This leads us to the third and final point. Where do we get the power to walk in love? As sinners saved by grace, we struggle with the effects of sin coming from within and without. Because the presence of within with sin within us and outside in the world. We often despair as orphans and silently suffer and have this orphan mentality to our danger. It could be due to our unemployment or underemployment, a brokenness in our sexuality, a health condition running in our family, an addiction, a past deep wound, by a friend or a loved family member. But the gospel offers us power to overcome the presence of sin in our lives, to walk in love with our fellow brothers and sisters, despite our brokenness. How? First, through our identity as beloved children of God. Notice in Ephesians 5.1, Paul addresses the believers as beloved children. Does he mean these Christians as his children? No. If you read in the context, he means that they are God's children. If you are a Christian by faith in Christ, you are a child of God. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. That's what John 1.12 says. Paul in Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a heir through God. Paul argues, it is natural for children to imitate their parents, so, parent, so we should imitate God our Father as beloved children, adopted, adopted into the family by a new birth through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred as the spirit of adoption in Romans 8. And through the Spirit, we are enabled to call God the Father as Papa, 
Dada, Appa, Daddy, Abba, Father. The same way Christ addressed his God, Father in heaven. We are no longer slaves or orphans, but sons and daughters having full privilege, and we are the beneficiaries of all the inheritance and promises of God. The tremendous blessing and most amazing benefit of becoming adopted into the family of God is that now God loves us in the same way, just as much he loves his beloved, only begotten son. Remember, this is exactly what the Bible verse Pastor Craig had tattooed on his forearm in Greek to remind himself of this love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. We also should notice the wonderful work of the triune God in accomplishing this great redemption. Remember that long run-on sentence that we started in Ephesians 1 when we started this series in chapter 1? Paul, right off the bat, declares there, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be adoption, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestows on us in the beloved. This is part of that long run-on sentence. God the Father chose us and predestined us before the foundation of the world to be adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, gives his life, offers his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, gives us new birth into this family of God and enables us to call God Abba, Father. And the spirit of adoption works in our hearts and testifies with our spirits, assuring us that we are truly the children of God. What does this new identity has to offer us to walk in love? First and foremost, it gives us tremendous assurance and security that we are the children of God in heaven, our heavenly Father, who loves us deeply even as he loves his beloved son, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we feel loved, forgiven, and accepted. We don't have to perform or prove our worth and abilities to earn acceptance from people. We can freely confess our faults and ask forgiveness and don't have to hold grudges against people who have wronged us. We can freely enter into prayer and praise because now we have access and intimacy with the Father, calling him Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that gives us this new birth, it floods into our hearts. Romans 5.5, 5, that's what exactly it says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The spirit of adoption floods our hearts like a it fills valleys and crevices as water floods into an area. And he illuminates our minds to understand the breadth, 
length, height, and depth of the love of God in Christ. Have you wondered why Paul in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, when he was talking about this love of God in Christ, talks about in four dimensions, that having breadth, length, height, and depth, the love of Christ invades our history, the time-space reality that we live in, which has four dimensions. And it surpasses our understanding, our knowledge. That means it blows our mind, our minds. The Spirit of God gives us an experiential knowledge of this love of God in Christ. This is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians to have an experience. This is what we should pray for ourselves and earnestly seek to be filled in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit so that we can understand the love of God in Christ for us. Thirdly, this love of Christ compels and controls us to live not for ourselves, but for Christ. This love of God is not the touchy-feely, sentimental kind of love. To contextualize to our times, it's not the Rob Bell and the Joel Osteen kind of love, but it is the one that is willingly sacrifices, looks to honor Christ by putting others first before one's own. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 reads, For love of Christ compels us because we, have, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It is a love as strong as death, as demonstrated by Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to Peter and two other disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he fell his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Did you ever wonder why the divine Son of God was sorrowful to the point of death and was dreading about a death that was coming? It was because God the Father was going to turn his face away from him and he was going to experience the separation from his loving Father because Christ, the sinless one, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The hymn writer puts it wonderfully, how great the painful pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Christ endured the cross to bring us to God so that we can share in the exclusive privilege of his sonship with the Father. We are made children of God because of the atoning sacrifice on the cross. Last six weeks, uh, we had this Summer of Faith program. We, we all experienced some of it. We had the finale on last Thursday. And it was a six weeks program involving about 60 children uh, in art, music, Bible camp, and reading. Over 100 volunteers from this church 
assisted and organized this program. It's an example of corporate demonstration of walking in love. How can we apply this to our lives personally? I want to retract two verses into the previous chapter in Ephesians 4 and read verses 31 and 32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is exhorting the believers to put away six unpleasant attitudes. I'm quoting John Stott here. First, bitterness. It is a sour spirit, a sour speech. It is an embittered and resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. Wrath. It's a passionate kind of anger. Rage. Anger which is more settled than sullen hostility. Clamor. People who get excited raise their voice in a quarrel and start shouting and even screaming at each other. Slander. Speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, and so defaming, even destroying their reputation. Malice, ill will, wishing, and probably plotting evil against people. It may include all the previous vices I have mentioned. Christian community cannot put up with these horrid things. They need to be rejected and put away, whether it's in the Christian community or elsewhere. Having said this, Paul wants, a, wants us believers to follow three pleasant actions. They are kindness, be kind, kerastos. God was kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Be tender-hearted. That means to be compassionate, compassionate as opposed to having a hardened, stony heart. I want to share from Richard Sibbs, who was a 17th century English Puritan who preached a sermon called The Tender Heart. By nature, he says, we all have this hardened, stony heart. Such a heart cannot be made tender by breaking it with a hammer. That means with adversity and hardships and sorrows. Sibs says, tenderness of heart is wrought by an apprehension of tenderness of love in Christ. A soft heart is made soft by the blood of Christ. Many say that, a, that an adamant cannot be melted with fire, but by blood. Adamant is a mythological metal. I cannot tell whether this is true or not, but I am sure nothing will melt the hard heart of man but, but the blood of Christ, the passion of our blessed, blessed Savior. When a man considers the love that God had shown him in sending his Son and doing such great things as he has done in giving Christ to satisfy his justice, in setting us free from hell, Satan, and death. The consideration of this 
with the persuasion that we have an interest in the same melts the heart and makes it become tender. Dear brother and sister, I want to invite you to yield your heart to be melted by the love of God in Christ. May God turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh so that they become tender and upright for him. Tender and upright for him. Let's pray. Father God, we stand before you as your beloved children, so unworthily, Lord, showered by your grace and mercy and the richness of your kindness, Lord, that we can come into your family, Lord, and have the, the inheritance and the, the blessings that you have given us, Lord. We are so blessed to be your children, to be loved with the same love that you have shown to your beloved son, Lord. Such a privilege, Lord, such a great benefit that we have in you. God, help us to behave as you are. Lord, as we saw in the scriptures, Lord, Lord, that you have given us all the things that we need to walk in love. Your word, your spirit, and your community. Help us to walk in love. Help us to imitate you. Help us to be your beloved children, Lord. Help us to develop a heart that is tender and upright for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.